0: Section Six of The Sorrows of Young Verta. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Barry Eads: The Sorrows of Young Verta by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Section Six: Book Two: October 20. We arrived here yesterday. THE AMBASSADOR IS INDISPOSED, AND WILL NOT GO OUT FOR SOME DAYS. IF HE WAS LESS PEEVISH AND MOROSE, ALL WOULD BE WELL. I SEE BUT TOO PLAINLY THAT HEAVEN HAS DESTINED ME TO SEVERE TRIALS. BUT COURAGE, A LIGHT HEART MAY BEAR ANYTHING. A LIGHT HEART. I SMILE TO FIND SUCH A WORD PROCEEDING FROM MY PEN. A LITTLE MORE LIGHT-HEARTEDNESS WOULD RENDER ME THE HAPPIEST BEING UNDER THE SUN. BUT MUST I DESPAIR OF MY TALENTS AND FACULTIES, whilst others of far inferior abilities, parade before me with the utmost self-satisfaction? Gracious Providence, to whom I owe all my powers, why didst thou not withhold some of those blessings I possess, and substitute in their place a feeling of self-confidence and contentment? But patience, all will yet be well. For I assure you, my dear friend, you were right. Since I have been obliged to associate continually with other people, and observe what they do, and how they employ themselves, I have become far better satisfied with myself. For we are so constituted by nature, that we are ever prone to compare ourselves with others, and our happiness or misery depends very much on the objects and persons around us. On this account nothing is more dangerous than solitude. There our imagination, always disposed to rise, taking a new flight on the wings of fancy, pictures to us a chain of beings of whom we seem the most inferior. All things appear greater than they really are, and all seem superior to us. This operation of the mind is quite natural, and we continually feel our own imperfections, and fancy we perceive in others the qualities we do not possess, attributing to them also all that we enjoy ourselves, that by this process we form the idea of a perfect, happy man. A man, however, who only exists in our own imagination. But when, in spite of weakness and disappointments, we set to work in earnest, and persevere steadily, we often find that, though obliged continually to tack, we make more way than others who have the assistance of wind and tide. And in truth, there can be no greater satisfaction than to keep pace with others, or outstrip them in the race. November 26. I begin to find my situation here more tolerable, considering all circumstances. I find a great advantage in being much occupied, and the number of persons I meet, and their different pursuits, create a varied entertainment for me. I have formed the acquaintance of the Count C., and I esteem him more and more every day. He is a man of strong understanding and great discernment. BUT THOUGH HE SEES FARTHER THAN OTHER PEOPLE, HE IS NOT ON THAT ACCOUNT COLD IN HIS MANNER, BUT CAPABLE OF INSPIRING AND RETURNING THE WARMEST AFFECTION. HE APPEARED INTERESTED IN ME ON ONE OCCASION WHEN I HAD TO TRANSACT SOME BUSINESS WITH HIM. HE PERCEIVED, AT THE FIRST WORD, THAT WE UNDERSTOOD EACH OTHER, AND THAT HE COULD CONVERSE WITH ME IN A DIFFERENT TONE FROM WHAT HE USED WITH OTHERS. I CANNOT SUFFICIENTLY ESTEEM HIS FRANK AND OPEN KINDNESS TO ME. IT IS THE GREATEST AND MOST GENUINE OF PLEASURES TO OBSERVE A GREAT MIND IN SYMPATHY WITH OUR OWN. DECEMBER 24. AS I ANTICIPATED, THE AMBASSADOR OCCASIONS ME INFINITE ANNOYANCE. HE IS THE MOST PUNCTILIOUS BLOCKHEAD UNDER HEAVEN. HE DOES EVERYTHING STEP BY STEP, WITH THE TRIFLING MINUTENESS OF AN OLD WOMAN, AND HE IS A MAN WHOM IT IS IMPOSSIBLE TO PLEASE, BECAUSE HE IS NEVER PLEASED WITH HIMSELF. I like to do business regularly and cheerfully, and, when it is finished, to leave it. But he constantly returns my papers to me, saying, they will do, but recommending me to look over them again, as, one may always improve by using a better word, or a more appropriate particle. I then lose all patience, and wish myself at the devils. Not a conjunction, not an adverb, must be omitted. He has a deadly antipathy to all those transpositions of which I am so fond. And if the music of our periods is not tuned to the established official key, he cannot comprehend our meaning. It is deplorable to be connected with such a fellow. My acquaintance with the Count C. is the only compensation for such an evil. He told me frankly the other day, that he was much displeased with the difficulties and delays of the ambassador that people like him are obstacles both to themselves and to others but he added one must submit like a traveller who has to ascend a mountain if the mountain was not there the road would be both shorter and pleasanter but there it is and he must get over it the old man perceives the count's partiality for me this annoys him and he seizes every opportunity to depreciate the count in my hearing I naturally defend him, and that only makes matters worse. Yesterday he made me indignant, for he also alluded to me. The Count, he said, is a man of the world, and a good man of business. His style is good, and he writes with facility. But, like other geniuses, he has no solid learning. He looked at me with an expression that seemed to ask if I felt the blow. But it did not produce the desired effect. I DESPISE A MAN WHO CAN THINK AND ACT IN SUCH A MANNER. HOWEVER, I MADE A STAND AND ANSWERED WITH NOT A LITTLE WARMTH. THE COUNT, I SAID, WAS A MAN ENTITLED TO RESPECT, ALIKE FOR HIS CHARACTER AND HIS ACQUIREMENTS. I HAD NEVER MET A PERSON WHOSE MIND WAS STORED WITH MORE USEFUL AND EXTENSIVE KNOWLEDGE, WHO HAD, IN FACT, MASTERED SUCH AN INFINITE VARIETY OF SUBJECTS, AND WHO YET RETAINED ALL HIS ACTIVITY FOR THE DETAILS OF ORDINARY BUSINESS. This was altogether beyond his comprehension, and I took my leave, lest my anger should be too highly excited by some new absurdity of his. And you are to blame for all this, you who persuaded me to bend my neck to this yoke by preaching a life of activity to me. If the man who plants vegetables and carries his corn to town on market days is not more usefully employed than I am then let me work ten years longer at the galleys to which i am now chained oh the brilliant wretchedness the weariness that one is doomed to witness among the silly people whom we meet in society here the ambition of rank how they watch how they toil to gain precedence what poor and contemptible passions are displayed in their utter nakedness we have a woman here for example who never ceases to entertain the company with accounts of her family and her estates. Any stranger would consider her a silly being, whose head was turned by her pretensions to rank and property. But she is in reality even more ridiculous, the daughter of a mere magistrate's clerk from this neighborhood. I cannot understand how human beings can so debase themselves. Every day I observe more and more the folly of judging of others by ourselves. And I have so much trouble with myself and my own heart is in such constant agitation, that I am well content to let others pursue their own course, if they only allow me the same privilege. What provokes me most is the unhappy extent to which distinctions of rank are carried. I know perfectly well how necessary are inequalities of condition, and I am sensible of the advantages I myself derive therefrom but I would not have these institutions prove a barrier to the small chance of happiness which I may enjoy on this earth. I have lately become acquainted with a Miss B., a very agreeable girl, who has retained her natural manners in the midst of artificial life. Our first conversation pleased us both equally, and at taking leave I requested permission to visit her. She consented in so obliging a manner "'that I waited with impatience for the arrival of the happy moment. "'She is not a native of this place, but resides here with her aunt. "'The countenance of the old lady is not prepossessing. "'I paid her much attention, addressing the greater part of my conversation to her, "'and in less than half an hour I discovered what her niece subsequently acknowledged to me, "'that her aged aunt, having but a small fortune and a still smaller share of understanding, enjoys no satisfaction except in the pedigree of her ancestors, no protection save in her noble birth, but no enjoyment but in looking from her castle over the heads of the humble citizens. She was no doubt handsome in her youth, and in her early years probably trifled away her time in rendering many a poor youth the sport of her caprice. In her riper years she has submitted to the yoke of a veteran officer, who in return for her person and her small independence, has spent with her what we might designate her age of brass. He is dead, and she is now a widow and deserted. She spends her iron age alone, and would not be approached except for the loveliness of her niece. January 8, 1772 What beings are men, whose whole thoughts are occupied with form and ceremony, WHO FOR YEARS TOGETHER DEVOTE THEIR MENTAL AND PHYSICAL EXERTIONS TO THE TASK OF ADVANCING THEMSELVES BUT ONE STEP, AND ENDEAVORING TO OCCUPY A HIGHER PLACE AT THE TABLE. NOT THAT SUCH PERSONS WOULD OTHERWISE WANT EMPLOYMENT. ON THE CONTRARY, THEY GIVE THEMSELVES MUCH TROUBLE BY NEGLECTING IMPORTANT BUSINESS FOR SUCH PETTY TRIFLES. LAST WEEK A QUESTION OF PRECEDENCE AROSE AT A SLEDGING PARTY, AND ALL OUR AMUSEMENT WAS SPOILED. THE SILLY CREATURES CANNOT SEE THAT IT IS NOT PLACE WHICH CONSTITUTES REAL GREATNESS, SINCE THE MAN WHO OCCUPIES THE FIRST PLACE, BUT SELDOM PLAYS THE PRINCIPAL PART. HOW MANY KINGS ARE GOVERNED BY THEIR MINISTERS? HOW MANY MINISTERS BY THEIR SECRETARIES? WHO IN SUCH CASES IS REALLY THE CHIEF? HE, AS IT SEEMS TO ME, WHO CAN SEE THROUGH THE OTHERS, AND POSSESSES STRENGTH OR SKILL ENOUGH TO MAKE THEIR POWER OR PASSIONS "'subservient to the execution "'of his own designs. "'January 20. "'I must write to you "'from this place, my dear Charlotte, "'from a small room in a country inn "'where I have taken shelter "'from a severe storm. "'During my whole residence "'in that wretched place, D, "'where I lived amongst strangers, "'strangers indeed to this heart, "'I never at any time felt "'the smallest inclination "'to correspond with you. "'But in this cottage, in this retirement, in this solitude, with the snow and hail beating against my lattice pane, you are my first thought. The instant I entered, your figure rose up before me. And the remembrance, oh my Charlotte, the sacred, tender remembrance, gracious heaven, restore to me the happy moment of our first acquaintance. Could you but see me, my dear Charlotte, in the whirl of dissipation? How my senses are dried up, but my heart is at no time full. I enjoy no single moment of happiness. All is vain. Nothing touches me. I stand, as it were, before the rare show. I see the little puppets move, and I ask whether it is not an optical illusion. I am amused with these puppets, or rather, I am myself one of them. But when I sometimes grasp my neighbor's hand, I feel that it is not natural, and I withdraw mine with a shudder. IN THE EVENING I SAY I WILL ENJOY THE NEXT MORNING'S SUNRISE, AND YET I REMAIN IN BED. IN THE DAY I PROMISE TO RAMBLE by MOONLIGHT, AND I, NEVERTHELESS, REMAIN AT HOME. I KNOW NOT WHY I RISE, NOR WHY I GO TO SLEEP. THE leaven WHICH ANIMATED MY EXISTENCE IS GONE. THE CHARM WHICH CHEERED ME IN THE GLOOM OF NIGHT, AND AROUSED ME FROM MY MORNING SLUMBERS, IS FOREVER FLED. I have found but one being here to interest me, a Miss B. She resembles you, my dear Charlotte, if any one can possibly resemble you. Ah, you will say, he has learned how to pay fine compliments. And this is partly true. I have been very agreeable lately, as it was not in my power to be otherwise. I have, moreover, a deal of wit. And the ladies say that no one understands flattery better, or falsehoods, you would add, since the one accomplishment invariably accompanies the other. But I must tell you of Miss B. She has abundance of soul, which flashes from her deep blue eyes. Her rank is a torment to her, and satisfies no one desire of her heart. She would gladly retire from this whirl of fashion, and we often picture to ourselves a life of undisturbed happiness in distant scenes of rural retirement. And then we speak of you, my dear Charlotte, FOR SHE KNOWS YOU, AND RENDERS HOMAGE TO YOUR MERITS. BUT HER HOMAGE IS NOT EXACTED, BUT VOLUNTARY. SHE LOVES YOU, AND DELIGHTS TO HEAR YOU MADE THE SUBJECT OF CONVERSATION. OH, THAT I WERE SITTING AT YOUR FEET IN YOUR FAVORITE LITTLE ROOM, WITH THE DEAR CHILDREN PLAYING AROUND US. IF THEY BECAME TROUBLESOME TO YOU, I WOULD TELL THEM SOME APPALLING GOBLIN STORY, AND THEY WOULD CROWD ROUND ME WITH SILENT ATTENTION. THE SUN IS SETTING IN GLORY his last rays are shining on the snow, which covers the face of the country. The storm is over, and I must return to my dungeon. Adieu. Is Albert with you? And what is he to you? God forgive the question. February eighth. For a week past, we have had the most wretched weather, but this to me is a blessing. For, during my residence here, not a single fine day has beamed from the heavens, but has been lost to me by the intrusion of somebody. During the severity of rain, sleet, frost, and storm, I congratulate myself that it cannot be worse indoors than abroad, nor worse abroad than it is within doors. So I become reconciled. When the sun rises bright in the morning, and promises a glorious day, I never omit to exclaim, There, now they have another blessing from heaven, which they will be sure to destroy. They spoil everything, health, fame, happiness, amusement, and they do this generally through folly, ignorance, or imbecility, and always, according to their own account, with the best intentions. I often beseech them, on my bended knees, to be less resolved upon their own destruction. February 17 I fear that my ambassador and I shall not continue much longer together, he is really growing past endurance. He transacts his business in so ridiculous a manner that I am often compelled to contradict him, and do things my own way, and then, of course, he thinks them very ill done. He complained of me lately on this account at court, and the minister gave me a reprimand. A gentle one, it is true, but still a reprimand. In consequence of this, I was about to tender my resignation when I received a letter, to which I submitted with great respect, on account of the high, noble, and generous spirit which dictated it. He endeavored to soothe my excessive sensibility, paid a tribute to my extreme ideas of duty, of good example, and of perseverance in business, as the fruit of my youthful ardor, an impulse which he did not seek to destroy, but only to moderate, that it might have proper play, and be productive of good. So now I am at rest for another week, and no longer at variance with myself. Content and peace of mind are valuable things. I could wish, my dear friend, that these precious jewels were less transitory. February 20 God bless you, my dear friends, and may he grant you that happiness which he denies to me. I thank you, Albert, for having deceived me. I waited for the news that your wedding day was fixed, and I intended on that day with solemnity, to take down Charlotte's profile from the wall, and to bury it with some other papers I possess. You are now united, and her picture still remains here. Well, let it remain. Why should it not? I know that I am still one of your society, that I still occupy a place uninjured in Charlotte's heart, that I hold the second place therein, and I intend to keep it. Oh, I should become mad if she could forget— Albert, that thought is hell. Farewell, Albert, farewell. Angel of heaven, farewell, Charlotte. End of section 6